0: Welcome to the SEND Parenting Podcast. I'm your neurodiverse host, Dr. Olivia Kessel. And more importantly, I'm mother to my wonderfully neurodivergent daughter, Alexandra, who really inspired this podcast. As a veteran in navigating the world of neurodiversity in a UK education system, I've uncovered a wealth of misinformation alongside many answers and solutions, that were never taught to me in medical school or in any of the parenting handbooks. Each week on this podcast, I will be bringing the experts to your ears to empower you on your parenting crusade. In this episode, I will be joined by my bite-sized co-host, Tamsin Hendry. Sen Advisor to discuss the first of a three part series of bite sized podcasts looking at some of the traditional therapies discussed previously on the podcast to support children with neurodiversity. The first, this first bite size will look at the key takeaway points from episode 25, where Anna and Becky from the charity Clear Sky shared with us the importance of making our child's mental well being a priority and how play therapy can significantly improve their overall mental health. Please join me and Tamson as we discuss how simple and easy it is to implement play therapy and the impact that it can have in terms of really improving your child's mental health and well-being. Welcome, Tanzan, and thank you for joining me to co-host the Send Parenting Bite Size Summary, looking at traditional therapies. And today we're going to kick it off with play therapy, and we're going to look back at episode 25, where I spoke to Anna Hodgson and Becky Hill from the Clear Sky Charity about play therapy and the impact that it has on our neurodiverse children. So welcome. Thank you. Uh, I know there was a lot to unpack in that. And I thought, you know, um, I wanted to kick it off today to kind of look at, you know, from from my perspective when I was talking to them, I didn't realize really the impact that play therapy can have on mental well-being. And I think, you know… Throughout this journey on the Send Parenting podcast, we don't, uh, in education systems potentially, and also as a parent at home, value our children's mental well-being or put it as a priority in our kind of um, arsenal of things we want to do. Um, in our back of my mind, we want to, but how do we actually improve our children's mental health and well-being? And what really stood out for me within that podcast was that play therapy, something that we all have in our back pockets, in our houses is something that we can do with our children to improve their mental health and well-being. And I think their statistics showed that they could increase emotional well-being by 24% and reduce peer difficulties in the schoolyard up to 30%. And I thought that was really interesting. What were your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it it was a a really good reminder about the importance of play. Um, And the the impacts, I actually wrote down some things with the impacts because I thought they were really uh, powerful, which was, that play therapy allows empathy be- to become more visible yeah and i think that was a really that was really powerful for me because when you actually see children in their natural state of playing all the lessons and all the therapies whether they be traditional or non-traditional come to light because they're reenacting them in a really natural way so i think that was that was that really kind of hit home to me and also that i think it was it felt really emotional when they said that the the play therapy and the actual getting involved in in reenacting things and metaphors and symbols and signs and all those things um, actually allows children to become stronger than they experience themselves, the the experience they had. Um, And I think that, yes, it absolutely relates to neurotypical children, but also children that have experienced trauma, and many of our neurotypical or neurodiverse children have experienced trauma. So I I love
0: the way... I love the way she said, you know, actually play is the natural language of children, you know, and, you know, that. so expressing themselves is through play. Whereas we might as an adult journal or do something along those lines to process what we've been through for children, that naturalness is, is in
1: play. Yeah. And I'm actually, my background is in Montessori and Maria Montessori many years ago said play is the work of children. And it's so true <laughs> for us to yeah. value it, you know, so many parents are put, value on uh, and it's not wrong but whether they can write their name or whether they can count or whether but actually can they play and and
0: actually for neurodiverse children that play can come at different times and then with different trajectories of of when they're playing when imaginative play happens you know for an autistic child might happen later and might happen in a different way than for a neurotypical child so it's it's also, not putting um, barriers in terms of, I, I you know, I know some parents with nerd you know who say, "Oh, you're too old to play now," you know. And I know we've discussed it before with you hiding the doll in the cupboard and me telling my daughter to own own playing with her doll. You know, like um, the importance of it, and actually the importance of us tapping into it as an adult.
1: Yeah, and and I think also you know for for my son he he didn't play was not natural for him so I used to use uh use an iPad and put on children playing on the iPad and he would copy their play and it evolved from there so so actually children that can play naturally that should be absolutely embraced because for those of us who've had to teach our children to play you realize actually it's really hard work to to teach teach someone to play Which kind of also led on to when they talked about it doesn't feel natural for lots of us. You know, it can, you know, you shared lots of great experiences that you're engaged with the dolls for five minutes and then you've had enough. Um, But actually, (laughs) you know, it's very liberating if you can let yourself go and play with your child and very, very bonding.
0: You know, and it's funny because like this weekend we, we carved our pumpkins, right? And I definitely tapped into my inner child, you know, sawing away at the pumpkin. And she's like, mommy, we're really having bonding time, aren't we? I'm like, yeah, we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's when you need your pumpkin to look perfect.
0: But that that could be tricky. <laughs> Luckily, I had to give up on, you know, the jagged mouth. I'm like, I'm going to redesign this. <laughs> Um, but you know, I think, and another thing that really stuck out to me, you know, on this topic of play and on the topic of our children's, you know, developing is also that our children's minds stay young. You know, they still have a teenage brain until they're 25. And I I don't think that's common knowledge. You know, we we kind of look at them at at 15 and 16 and think, you know, they need to step up. They need to take their GCSEs. They need to be these adults
1: that they're not, you know, they've still got a lot more cooking to do before they're, they're ready. And I've got friends with, uh, children with difficulties that are much older and, and they say they categorically have seen more development from the age of 18 to 25 than they did in their early years. So it really does, they do keep growing and they do keep developing right up to 25 and neurotypical children too. You know, they still need that guidance, that advice, that, that support right up to that age. And not, and not expecting
0: them to be adult-like, you know, um, which is, is really key. Um, one of the, you know, one of the, the other things that I thought was really interesting is making that time to use play as a parent. And, you know, we're all so busy. I mean, every hour of the day, I think seems to be packed with stuff. And so finding that time where you can actually play with your child, where you put your phone away, where you can actually have that one-on-one time is challenging.
1: It's really challenging. And I think I loved the story you shared about your mum. I'm um, yeah. trying to see. She, she
0: was time. ahead of her time. She would have, and, and you know, she would have love. It was called love time. And, you know, we'd moved from England to America. My, my parents had a small business that they had a lot of problems with. So they, you know, she worked long hours, but she would come home every night and we'd each get 15 minutes without the sibling, which was like, oh, yeah. and we could do whatever we wanted with her. And when I became an adult, she said to me, you know, Olivia, sometimes I would actually cry in the car before I came in because I couldn't face doing the love time
1: times with you, but we never felt that you know what I mean yeah. yeah, and I think it is that 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 message it came through all the time, and I, I'm trying to look at the percentages, but I think it was um they gave us if if you're good enough thirty percent of the time, you know yeah. if you if you give them just fifteen minutes that that's really real bonding time and build you know we've talked before about every household should have a non negotiable and in your household, your mum had a fifteen minute non negotiable and this this podcast really served as that reminder for me, you know, that, that that 15 minutes of absolute focus on your child, whatever that might be. My daughter did it last night. We were doing, um, uh, she was showing me a dance that she does at her dance school and and we did 15 minutes and we had, we really laughed, you know, and you laugh and you can't stop laughing. And I think we don't build enough time for that. And actually the whole evening afterwards was great because we'd had that time and um i think that really was a valuable you know one of probably the most important things that came across from that podcast of make the time 15 minutes is not enough not and actually 15 minutes 30 percent of the time yes you know that's achievable for all of us
0: exactly and it's you know it's um It's not rocket science. That's what I really love about it is it's not rocket science. And and you do see that kind of hangover effect of it in your children's behavior after you've taken that time to just be focused on them and not be doing something else. I'm I'm constantly, I think, you know, I do have ADHD traits as my daughter being diagnosed. And my my father actually just admitted to me uh, last night. He's like, Libby, I think you are right. I'm like, yes, you you have ADHD. You just, you know, you haven't been diagnosed. So I tend to do a thousand things at once. So, you know, while I'm being with you, I'm going to do the dishwasher and I'm going to cook dinner and I'm going to, you know, do another million other things. And that's what I have to stop. I have to stop and be present just with her, yeah. you know?
1: A hundred percent. You know, at the weekends, my my son went out with his granny to watch a film. And I think this is particularly important if you've got, if you're like me, where you've got one, my, eldest, my son is uh, neurodiverse and my daughter's neurotypical. And he he went out with his granny to see a film. And I said to her, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to Starbucks? Do you want to go to the park? What do you want to do? And she said, I want to push the sofas together, draw the curtains, and I want you to watch a film with me. And I don't want you to go to sleep. <laughs> no. We <laughs> did. We made a nest. We made a nest in the living room, and and we watched a film. And I didn't turn my laptop on, and I didn't bring my phone through, and I didn't. And it really does make a difference. Yeah, it's it, you know, and you you think, oh, well, we're just watching the movie. It doesn't matter if I do something else, but it does. It, yeah, does, it
0: does make a matter. difference. Yeah, yeah, it
1: does. Um, and and also I thought that you know. A really, uh, I love the the programs they do are also excellent. They, they the head heart yeah. program, and the talk of reflective functioning. And I think that's come up in many many podcasts, maybe not with that name, um, but uh, with Peter Peter. I can't remember his name. Peter. Fon- Peter Fonagy. Yeah, Peter Fonagy. Coined that term of reflective um, functioning, that everything that we're doing, we need to reflect on. You know, how our children are playing, what's the silent voice of the child, what are they showing us without telling us. Um, and I think as neurodiv parents of neurodiverse children or young people, we learn to be reflective in our functioning. We have to be because we've been detectives for so long. So I think that was really useful. And to think about what, you know with their program of head, heart, hands is head is watching, heart is wondering and hands is, um, letting them know about it. So I think each
0: one, we, each one is so important and it, and it takes that reflection on the parent to be able to, to stop and watch and not, we have a constant chatter in our head of, of why this is going on or why they're doing this or, you know, and it, it might not be the correct, uh, we, we, you know, we jump to c- our own conclusions. This happens as a, a, as a consequence of being human. But if you can slow yourself down and watch to understand and have that empathy and put yourself in their shoes, you know, it, it reminds me actually of, I do uh, coaching, actually, health coaching as another one of the things that I do. And, and motivational intervie- interviewing is part of that. And it's to listen to understand and reflect back what those individuals are saying to you and then validate it which this this does have a it feels kind of similar and it's very powerful because it puts you in their place and it also shows them that you've understood where they're coming from or if you
1: haven't it gives them the opportunity
0: to then correct you
1: yeah and how many of us do truly hands on heart listen to understand you know <laughs> even in play not even 30% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even if I'm playing with my children, I'm waiting for my turn to have an input. So it's, it's a, it's, it takes reflective practice to, to get used to that and learn about it. And I think, you know, like my daughter says to me all the time, you don't mean it when you play. You don't. You don't mean it. And I think, yeah, she's she's right. It's really hard to let go of those inhibitions. But what I think mostly we could learn through play therapy, and I think this could be transcended through all areas of sin, is that they understand the importance of working with parents as well as children. And that's something that doesn't... Th- th- show itself up in many therapies it's what that doctor's opinion or traditional therapies um that's this is our opinion as the medical professional whereas actually with play therapy it's very much starting with grounding the parents in order to be able to work with the children and I think that's a lesson that we could we could take away from that in lots of areas of sin and
0: and you know that's so true and it was one of like the, the key takeaways that I took away no pun intended was was the co-regulation do you know what i mean so yeah. uh, as much as i've been fussing and and focusing on the fact that my daughter has difficulty with emotional dysregulation i wasn't actually turning that mirror inwards and looking at my own emotional dysregulation and how that was upping her emotional dysregulation you know and it, it's hard to actually look yourself in the mirror and say wait a minute and you can't fake it. You know, I can't yeah. fake being calm and pretend that, you know, she knows it, you know, they're, they're like dogs. They sense
1: these things, you know, you can't, you yeah. have to actually be calm. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we, as parents, we were on such high alert. We've been on such high alert for so long that it's really hard to recognize that as, as dysregulation because it becomes our norm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're, you're at that constant. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny for, like for me, I, uh, I have had to find what, 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 what lowers my bucket and makes me, you know, a more regulated individual, which for me is exercise. And I recently hurt my knee over the, the holidays and I couldn't run anymore, which is the way, and my daughter even said to me, mommy, I think you need to run,
1: (laughs) (laughs) run away.
0: damage knee or not, but yeah, <laughs> you know, and 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 then also the the modeling of that because then you can when your child sees you be able to control your emotions or become dysregulated and then become regulated. That's where they learn. They don't actually learn from anything. I don't believe that we tell them. They learn from what we show them.
1: Absolutely. So, um, and I worked. I remember working with a, th- a therapist, and and you know, another thing that came out from play therapy was that all emotions are okay. That 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 they're allowed to be expressed and I think we all shy away from certain emotions and and I worked with a therapist recently so I've found it really challenging for my son moving from childhood to being a a young adult and one of the things he said was you're sarcastic and patronizing and so we we had this dialogue of no I'm not I'm not those things and yes you are so we worked with this guy who basically said stop telling him you're not and stop telling mum she is point it out to her over the course of the next week, every time she's doing it. And actually he did. And what we came to the conclusion was, he saw me as patronising and sarcastic when I was really trying hard to stay regulated when what I wanted to do was absolutely flip. And in the end, Andrew said to me, I'd rather you flip. I, I can work with that. I, just, I can understand that. I can understand that. So so now I do. Interesting. <laughs> it's quite helpful because <laughs> he knows it's okay for me to, get, to be absolutely at tipping point sometimes. And it's okay for him to be at absolute tipping point sometimes. So I think the play therapy, yeah. the message I got from them was really about being absolutely honest with how you feel so that the children can be honest with how they feel. Because when we start from an honest playing ground – we can build on that we can yeah. we can heal from there yeah
0: absolutely and and what was also great is they have courses where if you are struggling you know, at the different stages, you know, from, from babyhood to when they're, you know, in primary, secondary school, and then to older when they're like more your son's age, you know, that they can, they can actually help to facilitate, to teach you how to
1: communicate if you're struggling with it. You have to evolve as a parent because play therapy goes beyond, you know, it starts off with dolls and cars and everything else. But me and my son play, you know, we play with words, we play with, you know, we, he often says, would you rather, you know, we play that all the time, what would you rather? And usually I don't want to do any of the things that are the suggestions, (laughs) but there's still play and you can still be playful. And I, and I think you have to revisit who you are or who you want to be as a parent at each stage in their trajectory as they grow. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, um, it, to keep it lighthearted as well and to, to, yeah, to open yourself up, I think is also important, you know? Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Now, any other great tips that we could think of before we go on to what their great tips were?
1: Have I Um, forgotten anything? Another thing that I felt was really useful for the, in, in the information that they gave was that recognizing as parents that one, once a person's cortisol levels are up there, you know, so Once they are already in that red zone, that anything you do, whether you try to engage in play, whether you try, whatever you try to do as a healing strategy is not going to work straight away because they need to come back down. And I think that was really helpful because I go into this fixing mode all the time. Whereas actually they they would say, we don't even begin to engage in the the play or the program in any way until they've regulated again, because sometimes you just need to give them time. And I think, it, you know, I'm very guilty of that, of thinking, I know, I'll do play therapy now because that will work. And actually you just and that came up through many, many podcasts that we've listened to that once their cortisol levels are high, you need to just allow that to disperse through their body. And I, I read something a long time ago and I, I can't give exact figures on it, but it, it, I remember it amazingly how long actually those um, those levels stay high in your body. You know, it's not a case of an hour or two hours. It was a significant period of time before a person could regulate again. And I found that really interesting.
0: Yeah, but before the body can metabolize actually those hormones back again. And it's interesting because, you know, my daughter and I over this holiday, like, you know, she'll say to me, Mommy, do breathing. And I'm so angry. And I'm like, I can't do breathing, you know? And and she's like, well, see, when you tell me to do breathing, that's how I feel. I'm like, you know what? You are right. And that, so, you know, I'm like, so we we put our heads together and we we're thinking, well, it really is irritating when someone tells you to do breathing when you're really dysregulated. And I'm like, you know what? Yes, it is. So I said, you know what? Really? I said, let's, let's try some different things that would, you know, help us to kind of just not to go into solution mode, but just take you down from that really, ah mode. And so I said, you know what, if you just said to me, like, I can really understand mommy that, you know, this is really frustrating and making you upset. And I said, so I said, let's wait. Cause I said, you know, both of us are going to blow up anytime now. So we, we waited and we both tried it on each other and just validated the fact that, oh, that is really irritating that mommy is asking you to do this and you are really into Minecraft right now. And, you know, and just Validating why she was so upset with me really helped her, and the same with me to to her, and that it's normal and okay to feel that way. And it, it kind of diffused it for both of us a bit. Um
1: allows you to heal and move forward from Because someone's
0: that. listening to you and can feel your pain, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think it's that it's is also really valid when we talk about uh again, I think it was an occupational therapist that said this to me once. It's not about losing your temper is about how quickly you return to being a safe person. Yeah. For that child. And and I've really hung on to that. <laughs> makes me feel so much better. Um, <laughs> because when you say 30% of the time you get, if you can get it right 30% of the time, great. That is an acknowledgement that 70% of the time we can get it wrong um, and allow us to forgive ourselves. And again, creating... By having the groups that they have through the play therapy for parents, again, you're creating a community of people that understand where you're at. Absolutely, and I think we've kind of touched upon some of
0: what you know they they put as some of their their, their three top takeaways that I asked them. You kind of stressed this as well as you know to remember to keep being playful and to play. um, As you've just highlighted, you don't you know you you don't need to be good enough. You, you know you can just just have that quality time and never give up fighting for what your child needs. And I think that that's, um, I haven't met a mother yet of a neurodiverse child that doesn't keep fighting quite
1: honestly. Um, exactly. And goes back to Alexandra's song, you know, never give up. It's, it's so, it is, it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that's a lovely
0: way to end our, our pocket rocket of a podcast looking at play therapy. That's a lot of peas there, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and okay. we'll have all the information of, of where people can contact Clear Sky and see where that the play therapies that we've mentioned today are available because they, they are across the UK that they have um, they have offices and therapists that can help you um, so thank you Tamsin
1: you're welcome, thank you for having me
0: thank you for listening Send Parenting Tribe I hope you are now all inspired to tap into play with your children at home definitely has inspired me. I'd love to hear from you in terms of what podcast or who you would like to hear in the future. You can reach out to me on social medias, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or TikTok, or you can leave a comment on our website, which is sendparenting.com. Wishing you all a playful week ahead.